Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Mark Ramos, Chief Learning Officer at Cornerstone. Mark is a global learning leader with over 25 years of experience with some of today's most prominent technology and services brands that include Google, Microsoft, Accenture, Oracle, and Novartis. He brings a unique and mission-critical perspective to learning and development, all grounded in client success and building exceptional employee L&D experiences. Mark joined the team at Cornerstone as their Chief Learning Officer in August 2022, and in his role, his key focus includes industry thought leadership on innovative learning and talent approaches and technologies enabling the development of Cornerstone's global teammates and advising on client-first needs and perspectives. Now, look, if you've kept up with us here on the HR Works podcast, you've heard some great conversations that explore the impact and potential that artificial intelligence can have in the workplace and on people teams, especially with regards to acquiring new talent, meeting the administrative needs of existing employees. But how is AI changing the employee experience from a growth and development standpoint? Lucky for us, we've got an expert in the field who can help us answer that question today. So let's get him introduced. Mark Ramos, welcome to the HR Works podcast. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you on, Mark. Thanks for being here with our audience with this live HR Works episode as well. Let's get you started off, though, as we do with all of our guests on these episodes, and introduce you to the audience a bit, share a bit of your story. So what was that initial spark that led you down your career path, pursuing a career focused around workplace learning and skills development? Yeah, good question. Thank you. And again, really, really exciting to be here on HR Works. Kind of working backwards, as you mentioned, I've been at Cornerstone, uh, who we know is just such a strong leader from a learning tech perspective, but really, really lucky and filled with a ton of humility to be here, to be honest with you. But I've been on board for a little over uh, a year and a month, and it's been an exciting, exciting time and journey. Prior to this, just from an experience standpoint, I was at Novartis, uh, living uh, in Switzerland with my family. Uh, for about three years. And then prior to that, as you mentioned, with Google and then some of the other companies. From a Spark perspective, and I love that analogy, so to speak, I don't know, and and I'll tell you why. I come from a family of teachers. Um, My brother, my mom, my sister are all teacher teachers, uh, formal teachers in classrooms with kids and young adults. So the Spark was maybe somewhere uh, buried in my my DNA in terms of it's something that my family has been doing quite some time. I think that the spark um, maybe has a, a different uh, shade or illumination, perhaps, in the sense that I went the corporate route rather than the traditional uh, academia route. And a lot of it was, frankly, just trying to figure out how we can scale the stuff that would typically be in a brick and mortar environment in a traditional classroom. But how can we scale that? How can we scale that for others? How can we scale that for uh, learners and audiences in different countries globally and under different scenarios, whether it's, you know, in emerging countries or developed countries and so forth. So I was thinking about how to really maximize the value of learning uh, and then via some of these other companies that I work with, how to really maximize that at scale. Well, that's fantastic. You've got learning in your blood, Mark. As you mentioned, you got parents and siblings who are all in, in the learning field. You're just carrying that torch. That is great. And thank you for sharing that with us, Mark. So as mentioned, AI in the workplace, something that any of our listeners are not foreign to hearing about. 
anybody in the HR space really isn't foreign to hearing about and really in the working world, it's been dominating conversation. But one thing we haven't really dug into yet is that impact on L&D and on learning opportunities, skills development. We talk about upskilling, but how does AI come into play there? So how has the emergence of AI impacted employee upskilling and training initiatives at organizations and in the workplace? It's a great question. And it is a, a resoundingly loud question that we're hearing in our regular, you know, corporate lives, as well as, you know, family dinner tables, as well as other forms of, of, of media. And it's an important question. Um, the way I kind of look at it in terms of its impact on L&D in particular is this has, I think, a similar impact to other large transformations within the people development space. You know, whether it's the move from more static or um, uh, more linear, meaning not so digitized experiences to where we're at today, leveraging a lot more data and so forth. It has that, that level of magnitude, for lack of better words. The way I can look at it as at a higher level is AI in general is just as important for society as electricity was whenever, 100 and 120, 25 years ago. And so it has that same level of magnitude. I think your question, Josh, is spot on in the sense of what does it mean to us? What does it mean to our talent and human resource and learning and development families? And I think it's a lot. Part of the challenge is on one side, there's just a ton of hype. There's a ton of ambiguity. There's a ton of maybe fright in terms of, is this going to take my job? And that's all still being figured out. The obvious example in terms of things that need to be figured out where maybe that stickiness or the apprehension is there is around AI still having hallucinations, whether it's AI in specific or large uh, language models, LLMs, which is very, very popular these days and has different variations from Facebook and from Google and Microsoft and so forth. Um, but there's still that, that lens, that arena of hype and or maybe to a certain degree disillusionment in terms of its true value. And then on the other side, what's happening is there's a lot of L&D teams, um, both on the vendor side, as well as on the, the customer client side, where I primarily came from, where there's a lot of exploration. There's a lot of testing and there's a lot of new validation that, you know what, this is actually gonna help me uh, and help my team build something that much more faster, or this is gonna help um, the way that I look at resource allocation from an efficiencies standpoint, or maybe this is lending a new way to look at different forms of creativity, right? If we can work with certain, you know, gen AI, generational AI devices like Midjourney and so forth, and really leverage those, those new forms of media that's going to create something totally out of the blue, but then, you know, massage that and then position that in terms of how that's going to conform towards your own team's media style and so forth. Just thinking about content, but there's a lot more values that we can talk to related to the, the benefits of AI that are not just content related, but data related and then measurement related, and then also support and automation and augmentation related. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. I love that analogy you made with electricity. And there was a bit of that, I'm sure upon first discovery, that fear of the unknown, of not really sure how the application could be used, but then also that opportunity that's being created of, of the ideation to see, okay, what's possible? What can we actually do with this capability? Yeah. We're seeing yeah. that with AI in real time. 
and you said it so well that we're still figuring out how to use it and becoming comfortable with AI technologies. But I think we're also seeing that there's great applications that we didn't even think were possible. Are you seeing any aspects and capabilities that maybe weren't even on our radar before AI really started to get integrated and are now becoming a, a distinct possibility and a way to really use those tools for good? Yeah, and maybe just to expand, I think when you're looking at, you know, the development of workers, as well as in ensuring their productivity, you know, high levels of performance, and frankly, their happiness, I think the, the development family bridges to many, many folks that are uh, on this particular HR works. There's the HR element, everything from onboarding to development, to training, to whatever would be part of that maturity for an individual. AI is touching all those places. So L&D is kind of in the core. And I do have a little bit of a, I don't know, a selfish perspective in terms of our role and our charter from an L&D perspective. But I think what's really, really interesting is uh, or at least what's new, some of the new findings is a lot of the excitement was around taking text and ensuring that uh, while working with Gen AI tools and so forth, taking that text input, providing the right type of directions or prompts, which in itself is both an art and a science, and then working with a variety of different tools to make sure that the output has new forms of, of media creativity or just media assets. And so there's been, I think, a lot of really, really interesting fascination and really good practical use related to using um, Gen AI tools to think about different forms of media and content, whether that's videos, whether that's audio, whether that's um, anything from the animation side, whether that's putting in a text input and then creating a video from nowhere where there's no video uh, originating assets and so forth but just from the text input and then layering in a variety of other things on top of that. Some of the coolest things that I think is really happening right now, I think in this domain, in this use case, is putting in your text input, but there's a lot of great tools right now that'll take that text input and then how you shape your instructions with that particular Gen AI tool and really creating not only a video from scratch, but uh, AI is becoming smart enough to take the the uh, initial transcript or script or instructions that you have on what you want this made up artificial, but real looking person to say, but adding in new context, adding in new use cases, adding in new flair, talking at a specific tone. So there's that really, really interesting sense of the, the, that type of providing a new type of personalization related to that, that, uh, that avatar in some cases, or that really, really real looking human being. Sure. I think that's like interesting phase one. I think what's happening now is there's a lot of development related to step one, putting in the text, step two, giving me kind of a, a video output. But I think step three, which is really fascinating is you can now take that same video output and let's just say that the text and the video output is in English, but now in that same unit, that same asset, the machine's coming so smart that it not only can translate what you're saying in English, to any other language, but it'll actually modify the facial structure and particularly, you know, the, the movements of your mouth to make sure that you're actually enunciating and pronouncing the output in terms of what the uniquenesses might be on the edge of your, your mouth, sitting something in Japanese, as an example, compared to English or German or Spanish and so forth. So some really, really interesting stuff that's happening. Yeah, that's brilliant. Right. You can meet uh, employees really where they are, even to the point of language where you can meet that native speaker 
so that it again doesn't feel forced it feels natural it feels just second nature to improve that that learning opportunity i love what you said there mark about personalization i think that is what's become so interesting everything down to the way individuals want to learn how they learn best and the adaptability and just the the ability to really meet employees where they are to create that great learning opportunity that's where i see the opportunities coming out of ai and again, the possibilities how you do that are endless. Yeah. But it seems to be the magic key there is that you can really personalize the learning experience with this new and emerging technology we're seeing. Uh, absolutely, I think it's so spot on, Josh. It's really, really that's part of you know the excitement side rather than the fright side. Um, we do need to keep in mind that there there still needs to be the human that's part of this process, sure. either entering the right information up front. You know, ensuring that the questions or the instructions or the prompting is still accurately providing exactly what you want and removing some of that bias that's frankly still inherent in the machine, as I call it. So that's definitely there. I think for the, the prior example related to translations and localization at the same time, even though you might be translating English to Japanese, how you might be positioning your product, or your solution in Japan could be different than other countries. So there's the translation of the language. Then there's also uh, the localization of what you're actually talking about right. from a context, or in this case, a product example. I think the, the last figure that I read was when you're looking at the amount of budget that the U.S. government just sets aside for translation services on an annual basis was a little over half a billion dollars. And so when you think about Gen AI devices doing all these you know, transcriptions and translations and localization dynamically, Still, the human making sure that it's correct, that it's valid, and so forth. Think of just the cost savings. Sure. And it's not just the cost savings to save labor and so forth, but that's also how you can actually take some of your existing budget and then move this to new opportunities to provide new AI skills, perhaps for your L&D team or your talent team or your marketing team. So this whole you know, ecosystem is really, really fascinating as well. And I'm thinking about a literal ecosystem. Something starts here, the benefits there. The output of that benefits something else, and then it kind of circles back. I think that's really, really profound, and I think there's a lot of discovering that's still going to occur that's going to be providing a lot of benefits to L&D teams. Yeah, the direct opportunity to free up bandwidth, which can then be used for other opportunities, seems like a, a very obvious advantage for teams that can really learn how to harness this power. Yeah. Uh, what I've really loved too here, Mark, is we have a lot of discussions about globalizing workforces. Now the opportunities, as many teams have moved to flexible work arrangements, many teams going fully remote, it opens up that opportunity to now build people teams that can be global and can oftentimes be in multiple cultures under multiple languages and having those tools and those skills to be able to quickly translate and disseminate information in their native tongue. Like that is so brilliant with growing these global teams and just again, making your teams more efficient as a result. Yeah, and it's not only growing your own teams, but think about the benefits if the asset that the L&D team is creating Let's say that you're, you have a function of L&D that's around you know, customer enablement or customer training, how to guide customers or partners on the use of a certain you know, product or the product's functionality and so forth. So the benefits also to customers, right? It's not just internally, but the benefits to customers is also still a little kind of you know, untapped territory. But I think that's absolutely going to explode big time, definitely within the next 12, 18 months. Now that that is certainly exciting, and we have a front row seat to really see and be a part of how it's playing out, which is very exciting as well. 
Yeah. All right, Mark. So you mentioned again the the language translation piece. Are there any other creative ways that you've seen L and D leaders and organizations utilize these innovative technologies such as AI uh, to really boost skill development? Yeah. So the metaphor that I use quite frequently, Josh, good, good, bad, right or wrong, is interestingly you were talking about you know what was part of my my beginning as a as a training guy, so to speak. What was that spark? Whether it's part of my DNA or not. And interestingly, I got into my career doing restaurant training, you know, helping food servers understand how to sell or upsell from one item to another, helping bartenders, you know, how to make, you know, martinis versus gimlets or helping cooks behind uh, in the kitchen, you know, how to create really awesome dishes. And so the metaphor that I, I always like to talk about is there's benefits related to Gen AI in particular. And by the way, when I'm talking about Gen AI, or large language models, LLMs, or this other famous acronym AI, just in general, I'm basically referring to the same set of technologies. But I think what's really interesting is for this metaphor, I tend to think about, so what are the use cases? What are the activities? What are the the actions that occur in the dining room of a kitchen? That's my metaphor. And the dining room. So what's the stuff on the menu? What are the experiences that the the customer, the guest, or the learner or the user experiences that are being positively impacted from Gen AI? So there's like that view of use cases related to the actual learning experience, the stuff that learners see. And then the other way to look at this is what's on the other side of, of the dining room? Well, it's the kitchen. It's the, the variety of processes and procedures and ingredients and recipes that are being built behind the scenes that maybe isn't visible from a learning experience perspective, but there are use cases that are happening that's creating a lot more efficiencies. So what's really, really great, I think, from that lens, right, the, the experience that customers go through that where Jenny AI is playing it's everything from, we talked about, you know, personalizing your learning, tailoring the right type of content, putting together more of an adaptive set of content. So if someone wants to be a data scientist and he or she's already a salesperson in this example, well, let's just say that this uh, salesperson already knows half of what it takes to become an entry-level data scientist. I'm just making this up. Why give this individual all 40 hours of you know, entry-level data scientists skill development, if they're already halfway there, then how can AI help adapt the content to just give them just that 50% that's missing, those 20 hours or so? So this personalization, this tailoring, this adaptation of content. And then there's talking about the actual learning experience yourself, you know, nudging, sure. uh, coaching, you know, this whole thing about learn bots. What's really happening that's really cool in terms of the experience is what Khan Academy is doing, particularly related to their Khan Amigo learning bot. And what's really fascinating here, just thinking about the learning experience, is the bot that they have in place, it's not to build content for you or to just say you got question three wrong or whatever. It's really, really changing the whole learning experience where let's just say that someone is studying I don't know, U.S. history between 1850 and 1890 or something when the Civil War happened. But if the, the Con Amigo bot can actually help and guide you and provide you scenarios and challenges 
coming from the voice of like Abraham Lincoln. Oh, that is so cool. Or coming from different types of scenarios where it knows that for this particular topic related to, I don't know, how the Civil War started in this example, if you can, if it monitors your progress in terms of understanding that aspect of history, it'll say, you know what, you keep on missing on this and this and this and this topic in terms of how it actually started. Let me kind of give you some challenges that it's going to help reinforce those particular points. So in the dining room, I think there's a lot of great examples. And just really, really quickly in the kitchen, there's everything from automation, right? Can we automate steps? There's everything from providing customer support. And then there's a lot of stuff related to just the basics of any foundational L&D team helping with, you know, facilitator scheduling, helping with a course materials management, helping with grading, helping with, you know, sentiment analysis. So that's the way I look at it. It's kind of a long answer. Sorry, Josh, but there's the stuff that happens, I think that's customer facing. And I think there's how the stuff that happens that's behind the scenes. And it's really the stuff that's behind the scenes that's more black and white rather than a little more subjective or unique to the individual person. But the stuff that's more black and white, when you say you can get more efficiencies related to you've got, I don't know, 20 facilitators doing global programs, but there's always too much downtime for these facilitators, not like you want to overwork anybody, but if you can maximize that schedule based on their area of expertise and let you know AI do those calculations or formulate stuff with you and for you, that's another really, really big opportunity. That's great. Yeah, you've got your general task, the formulaic tasks that you can really optimize AI for, but then you've also got those personalized pieces too. I love that you were explaining the learning component. We've all seen it that no two people learn the same way. And I think we've all heard someone say, I'm a visual learner. You can really now utilize these tools to meet that visual learner where they are to create a a more visual learning component to maybe someone who may learn in a different style. And, And to your example, using Abraham Lincoln to walk you through U.S. history to really create these unique learning experiences, but also identify, hey, maybe you you missed these three questions. Let's go back and and adapt the learning schedule to really hammer those points home. Uh, That's something that maybe wasn't possible with available bandwidth in the past. You had to really be selective of how you used your time to meet a large group. Now it can be individualized, personalized at the click of a button, which is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Mark, as we're talking to an audience right now of HR leaders and L&D leaders, what are some of those must-have AI skills that L&D leaders need to be focused on learning right now as the ground is really kind of taking shape below us? I think there's uh, quite a few. And the, the, the lens that I look at this is there's like skills that certain roles need to have within an L&D function. Say you're an instructional designer versus say you're a curriculum manager or say you're a facilitator. I think there's unique skills. Then I think there's, when you're looking at the entire L&D function, what are the skills that everybody needs to have regardless of your particular role? Well, I know there's, you know, five or six core ones. So clearly when you're thinking about um, working with AI and making sure that you're providing the right type of instructions or guidance or prompts. So there's a whole curriculum now related to what does prompt engineering look like? It is both an art and a science. And I think it literally is an art and I really think there's also very specific, you know, scientific measurable approaches that you need to take. But I think that's one is understanding as a new skill, the power of asking the right type of questions to Gen AI. So I'll just say, you know, prompt engineering, even though that's kind of a fancy title. I think another one has to do with analytical thinking. 
And so by that, I mean, you need to be able to think certainly left brain, right, right brain kind of combo, but you also need to understand that, you know, if you're thinking about um, a specific output of the machine of Gen AI tools, you need to think about constructing uh, the right type of measurement that you're going to have as an output of X. It's very traditional in terms of traditional learning analytics and insights now. You know, you design towards the measure. And as the machine, so to speak, AI is helping you design in new, different, bold ways, you need to think about analytics and insights, I think, a lot more crisper and a lot more deeper because it's going to be new or foreign or just generally different stuff that you need to think about. I think there's another one just related to data data. You need to understand that at the end of the day, um, all AI and, and Gen AI devices are using fundamentally is they're on top of this big ocean of data. And there's this whole aspect related to you need to train Gen AI over years to understand X, Y, and Z, or you need to train AI to look at various existing core data, but also use live data from the internet via Google or whatever it might be. So I think understanding how data works is very, very interesting. I think the other thing is, and this is kind of obvious, but curiosity is now peaking. So if we look at the different behaviors that true curiosity means, you know, having an open mind, being able to think in, in different dimensions rather than just a lateral approach, you know, really making sure that you're asking the right questions, not only of AI, but of yourself and of the team along the way, and really, really investigating um, and researching different approaches from a, a curiosity standpoint. I think that's a, that's a, that's a huge one. So there's a variety of, of critical skills uh, that I think are absolutely, absolutely important for L&D teams, either individually at the role-based or collectively as a team. Oh, those are fantastic. Thank you for that, Mark. What you touched on there actually called back to what you had mentioned previously, that idea of prompt engineering and really having a human element throughout all of the AI process. Um, that's certainly something that, that I encourage with my teams as we're exploring AI. It's that there needs to be a human input and a human output, that you need to guide it through the entire process to really ensure that it's accurate, to ensure that you're putting into it what you want and you're also getting out of it what you want and making sure that it's correct content. I think that applies across the board. Yeah. I saw this really interesting. It wasn't a bumper sticker, but it was like a social media like bumper sticker thing. In the old days, it would say something like, you know, you know, powered by data or fueled by business intelligence. Now it's the opposite. It's kind of like powered by a human. <laughs> right. Or, or, or fueled by John, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, or Dane or whatever. So it's really that, that, that combination. And we, we need to always, always understand that because that also affects, I think, some of the fright or anxiety that. AI is going to take my job. I mean, AI is not going to take your job, in my provocative opinion. It's people that know AI, they're going to take your job. So it's, it's very, very important for you to build up your skills in these domains. The ones that I mentioned are just a handful. There's, there's a bazillion more. But really understand that you know this is a, an opportunity for our L&D family to kind of step up. This is a new world, folks. And I think part of the stepping up also means that you know, if who has traditionally and still maintains the the charter to develop workers, to develop managers, to develop peers, it's still the L&D function. So as the enterprise, the entire company needs to develop, guess what? AI skills for marketing, 
AI for finance, AI for better selling, who has that greatest responsibility way upstream to build that? In my opinion, selfishly, it's the L&D function. This is the time for the L&D function to step up. This is the time for the L&D function, whether it's post-COVID or not, to really understand that we have to walk the talk internally. We need to start with our own internal how and then scale that how to benefit the enterprise. So in terms of you know, having you know, a seat at the table, I think L&D, frankly, is now the table. Right? I think we are beyond just being a participant. Now we must be the fulcrum. We need to be the foundation. We need to be the structure to guide the entire enterprise. I'm a little selfish, and I, I think I have a little bit of a bias, but uh, I do challenge folks in this call, whether you're in the L&D function or the talent function or HR, you know, this is our time to step up and kind of lean in, for lack of better words, and, and really experiment even that much more thoughtfully with a lot of these these tools. There's one additional skill. Sorry, Josh. Yeah, no, please. It's really understand the, the legalities of how AI changing the ballgame, uh, intellectual property. Uh, there's also, you know, DEI elements as well. And so we need to think about that skill that this is changing like copyright law, you know, globally. And so we, we need to understand those consequences too. One thing you had said earlier, Mark, that really rings true is is looking at AI as a tool. If you treat it as such and really put in the work on the front end, but also understand that as L&D leaders too, you can really instruct teams, groups, workforces on how to use that tool uh, and really be, as, as you said, the champion there. You should be championing it for it in your industry. Don't be apologetic about it at all. It's certainly something you should be proud of and encouraging your peers in the, in the L&D community to embrace that tool and to really be the, the trailblazers of using AI technologies and how to utilize the technology. And that's exactly, you know, one of the, the reasons why I wanted to join Cornerstone. You know, Cornerstone has a, a strong leadership position, but, you know, with, with leadership comes that responsibility. And so I think we do have a responsibility to really, you know, as I mentioned to my, to my team and then others within the company, you know, we have the responsibility to be the exemplar. You know, if we already are a leader in this space, we need to give back. And part of that giving back means if we come across that really good practice or, or that example, we need to be the, the, the beacon for the industry to not only, you know, leverage our scale and our success, that's awesome, but that also means a responsibility to give back. And it also means a responsibility to do the right thing for our customers and our learners when we are thinking about AI. It's not fully there yet. As I mentioned beforehand, understanding the legal domains is super, super critical. But um, we do need to recognize too that you know it's still doing its, its different thinking and there's bias in that thinking. And there's also bias in terms of how AI is trained by, guess what, humans. So we need to extract that and still have that responsibility to be the the beacon and the exemplar, but also provide that responsibility for the industry on what's the right approach related to AI. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect tool. But again, we, with the right people in charge and with the vision, we can really certainly get it to to a great point to to be, again, that tool, that catalyst for moving forward. Absolutely. All we're looking for. Thank you for that. That was a really great way just to look at how AI can be utilized for the L&D community. So Mark, just looking at L&D in general, is there anything else that's got you excited? Is there a trend that you see coming, whether it's AI or something else in L&D that you're really excited about? Oh, boy. Um, there's this whole thing about skills, 
right? And on one side, I'm a little cynical because folks on this call, particularly that have been doing, you know, competency modeling and management and skills development, you know, we, we as a society, as a culture, we've been doing formal skill building since what, the 1700s, the 1800s. And now it's got all this hype, you know, skills. So it may not be AI specific in terms of skills as an example, but what is, what is happening now is I think that the, the data that resides uh, within a skill. So by that, I mean, there's the list of skills. There's the menu of stuff that people receive in the dining room and the menu could be, hey, here are the skills that you want to build. But how do those skills actually talk to each other? How does the, how does the skill know there's a dependency on that skill before you take this skill? How does uh, that these skills, you know, how do they know that there might be a dependency, but there also could be, you know, obviously different proficiency levels. You know, if you want to become a data scientist, here's the 16 skills you got to build. Uh, but oh, by the way, by the time you get to be an, uh, an advanced expert for those 16, you know, eight are at the advanced level and then four are intermediate and then four are beginner. So my point here is, I think what's happening that I think is really cool is the way that uh, data and not the list of skills, I call that super high level, the taxonomy or the menu. Sure. It's yep. really how the skills talk to each other, the structure of the metadata, you know, that's called the ontology. The, the advances in skill ontology is just fantastic. It's really, really cool. Certainly there's a big gen AI play uh, but I think setting aside Gen AI, I think what's happening at the data level related to the proper tagging of skills, I think is fantastic. Because if you get that right from a hire to retire perspective and from one's employee journey, you can now have a better way to kind of flow the right type of skills or skill domains across that journey with a lot more consistency. The same questions that you ask somebody related to that you have the skill when you're recruiting someone, those same type of questions can be modified to adjust to one's onboarding to just one's a development, to look at succession planning, to look at, you know, pay for skill performance, dot, dot, dot. So without that, that ontology tagging and skills, I don't think we'd be where we're at right now. So that's, that's one really, really cool example. There's a lot more but that ones I find really intriguing. Yeah. You're building that journey. I love that. And again, what comes after each skill that you develop to really create that, that best journey for employees as you're looking to again, advance and grow them in their careers and build your workforce. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Yeah. Now, Mark, as we do have an audience of HR professionals, what's the best thing you've seen out of HR and the people operations community this past year? In recent history, um, and this has been around, so what's happening in the strategic workforce planning area is, it, I think, is really fascinating. By that, I mean, how does a company know that um, there's a certain gap in the workforce that's maybe skills or competency or whatever related. And then how does it identify that? And then how does a team do its necessary research in terms of, you know, this gap can be filled internally by that level of expertise. This gap can be filled internally by this, this, the, these learning assets internally built or externally purchased, or, Hey, what's happening in the industry? What's happening with our competition? If we say that our workforce is lacking in, say, certain type of data or digital skills, but we do know that our competition is doubling down on the stuff that we're lacking on, because now strategic workforce planning is a lot of variety. There's a lot of vendors playing in this space. There's a lot of ways to, to now look scientifically 
at the millions of job descriptions that are out there and then other sources to determine what's actually, you know, the temperament or the client or the climate related to skill development, skill building. And having that, that research and the harvesting of what's happening in the industry, maybe from a competitor and how that ties to filling in your gap, this whole kind of ecosystem or strategic workforce planning uh, and always having that that forethought, you know, the, the, that forward-looking perspective is, I think, very, very cool, very fascinating. Uh, the use of data, the use of AI in many cases, the use with specialized partners that really can do this, this very accurate and acute research for you uh, is just been, I think, really, really exciting for me to kind of track. And then ideally, where possible, you know, integrate that into other areas within the, the, the talent and HR umbrella. I couldn't agree more. That That is a great one, Mark. And again, it's using those technologies, using data and AI that is at HR leaders' fingertips to optimize their workforce, identify where they need to add workforce and skill sets, develop the existing workforce to fill those gaps and really propel their industry, their organizations going forward. But using that technology as a tool is huge there. That's been great to see. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, Mark. So again, we're here with Mark Ramos, Chief Learning Officer at Cornerstone. Mark, do you have anything you'd like to share with our audience about Cornerstone, anything you're excited about going on? Um, And certainly please share where our listeners can get in touch with you and learn more. Yeah, definitely you can find me in LinkedIn. And then in terms of Cornerstone's direction, these are really, really, really exciting times. I'm not trying to, to bolster or brag, but they actually are. One of the great areas that we're really focusing on is the use of data, the understanding of skills, and how that permeates throughout all of our um, various products and so forth, whether it's from a a talent management perspective, whether it's from a learning perspective, whether it's more formal HR perspective, whether it's from a learning experience perspective. um, I think looking at the, you know, what's in the middle that really kind of, what's the fuel that drives this uniqueness. So our doubling down on data, our doubling down on AI uh, is really, really exciting. We call this our talent experience platform or TXP. So a lot of really, really great uh, advances um, that are occurring that have been occurring for quite some time. So that's definitely um, super exciting. And then what was the other part of your question? Where can we send our listeners to learn more? Well, uh, definitely go to our primary Cornerstone site and then obviously go to Cornerstone on LinkedIn as well. But there's a variety of different channels. Fantastic. And we'll provide links to those within HR Daily Advisor on our site post for that too. Now, Mark, we started off asking you about your spark that got your career going. Let's bring it back to you for a minute here. So what's something you've learned about yourself over the past, let's say, three years post-pandemic that you feel has made you a more effective leader? Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind, Josh, is, and a lot of this is obviously, you know, pandemic, COVID, how do we respond related. It's a big difference related to having those those, those every day, you know, walk down the corridor and talk to a buddy about X, Y, and Z. So the whole kind of, you know, physical presence and stuff. So how to still, I think, be a, a strong leader and definitely, you know, have those conversations related to performing and productivity and metrics and measures. But also, I think the thing that I've learned is how to still convey empathy, but more in a virtual environment. That's something that was a, a little new to me. Uh, in the sense of now, instead of, you know, a team of X number of people, and then ideally there's a physical environment or similar to have those, those conversations. 
but how do you do that now in a virtual environment? How do you still come across with sincerity and authenticity and care and passion for the individual, these attributes of empathy, and do that at scale and consistency and consistently, regardless of you know regionality and so forth? That's one big takeaway related to something that I think has been really uh, advantageous and uh, frankly, a lot of learned lessons for me in terms of, again, how to do that consistently at scale for my team. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Mark. And that's something I know many leaders have had to grapple with over the last few years and, and relearn is how to communicate and do those things that came so naturally, maybe in person, in office, and learn a new way to still connect and keep that connection going with team members just in a different way. Absolutely. And Mark, also then looking at your career growth, which has been very impressive, but is there a piece of professional advice along your way that you've leaned on, something you received that really helped you through to find success that you could pass along and pay forward to our audience of HR leaders, recruiters, and L&D professionals? Yeah, the one thing that comes to mind, and this isn't like a very, you know, L&D operationally specific thing, I think it's just more of an attitude thing. And with the environment that we're in now, there's, you know, a lot of excitement, but a lot of fear related to uh, and AI as an example. One statement that I loved from the, my times at Google is it's okay to be uncomfortably excited. Nice. Okay. And that, that, that kind of, that permeates or flavors my, my day because there's sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so new or different. Or like this, this ambiguity level is so high. That's fine. Right. At the end of the day, you know, treat this newness, this ambiguity as an opportunity to learn. And, and the more that you double down on learning, ideally, hopefully, you're going to get excited about the outcome of what you just gained, whether that's from curiosity or just asking the right questions. But striking that right balance is interesting. But I think it's more than that. It's actually being bold and innovative and excited about the things that might be foreign, the things that might be different, the things that might be providing a little bit of uncomfort. Uh, so that's one big takeaway that I've learned throughout my my career, so to speak, and something that I still live by on a daily basis. And that's a catalyst for growth right there, Mark. That's perfect. Look, Mark Ramos, Chief Learning Officer at Cornerstone. Now, Mark, before we let you go, we have one bonus question that we ask all of our guests on the HR Works podcast to close out, and it's all around motivation. You wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? The one thing that gets me out of bed that starts my day is the joy of working with awesome people. Nice and simple. Love it. Uh, I'm lucky to work with uh, a fantastic set of peers, fantastic management, uh, and a fantastic team. And it gets me, it provides a lot of joy and satisfaction and excitement, comfortable excitement, knowing that I get to work with some awesome people. So that's, that really, really provides a lot of joy. And then awesome people to do awesome stuff together. Uh, but it's the people piece, the people focus, the people prioritization that's really important. So that's what kind of gets me out of bed. Well, that is perfect and a great way to close out. So again, Mark Ramos, Chief Learning Officer at Cornerstone, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. This is a great conversation, Mark. And thank you for just sharing your time with us and hope to keep that conversation going. Great. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.